Good evening. I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. Um, it's always an honor to be asked to speak uh, at an AA meeting, or uh, it's always nice to be invited anywhere, for that matter. Um, welcome, if you're a, if you're a newcomer, if you identified as a newcomer, or you didn't identify. I, I identify with not identifying. Um, I, I didn't identify as a newcomer. I was I was terrified of you people. Um, I grew up. Um, I've got a sobriety date. It's June fifth, two thousand sixteen, and uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to know I'm an alcoholic. I'm grateful to have that sobriety date. And I want to hold on to it. Um, I grew up about an hour north of New York City in a beautiful town called Brewster, New York, and uh, two loving parents. And, uh, you know, pretty much had everything I needed in life. And uh, when I was born, I was the first male son on both families. So uh, Irish Catholic, uh, my father's side, and uh, the Cahill clan was, was very happy um, to, uh, to be able to pass down this 600-year-old Thornwood stick. And my grandfather, um, I don't know if there's a genetic thing to this, this disease, and uh, but I've got a lot of selfish and self-centered family members. Um, and uh, um, my grandfather would would when I was very young, would he was the postmaster general of Newark, New Jersey. And he would take me by his hand, he'd, you know, his Fleischmann's bottle. And uh, he'd take me down to the bar and he'd sit me on the bar and I'd drink cherry cokes and I would I would uh, I would eat pistachio nuts. And I, my fingers would turn red and my mouth would be all red and. My grandfather would hold court down at the bar and uh, and then he would get a bottle to go and he'd head back. And uh, I love the bar life. You know, I, I, I wanted to do that, too. I wanted to be the one that everyone respected in the bars since I was this high. And uh, I know I loved um, cherries at the time, but I ended up graduating. I loved the onions and the, the olives. Uh, and I didn't know that they they were soaked in gin and vodka, uh, and maybe that was my first time of, of getting a taste of, of alcohol, but I just loved being around alcohol. Um, and, and it was a, it was a birthright in my family. You know, you're a Cahill, you know, everyone had their, their flasks. Um, you know, somebody died and it was an Irish weight and, uh, everyone drank. Um, the Italian side of the family, same thing, you know, the first male son and, uh, everyone was like, uh, it was like the sun rose and set. Uh, on me. And, uh, I was the youngest. My sis, I had two sisters and I was, they were much older than me, about five years older than me. And I was little Cahill. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they had boyfriends that, uh, uh they, they had to take me to concerts and they'd take me everywhere and everyone had to look out for me. And I was the pride and joy of the family. And, uh, I was on the lacrosse team and I was on the ski team and I was on the golf team and everyone was great. Everything was great in the world. And uh, we were moving out of our, our, um, our apartment. We were in an apartment. My sisters and I had a room and we lived together and uh, we, were, we were buying this house. We, we bought this, this property and we were building a house and everything was great in the Cahill family. And uh, my father got caught cheating on my mother with one of my mother's best friends. And uh, within weeks, uh, um, my father got kicked out of the house my eldest sister got pregnant at 17 years old. She was a senior in high school and she got married and moved out of the house. Uh, my mother would cry herself to sleep every night. My sister 
at 16 years old would come home drunk and eat, drink, eat every pill in the thing. She was trying to commit suicide on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, God willing, in, on May, May uh, of this year, she'll take 38 years in this program. And she's an alcoholic. I wasn't an alcoholic. That's an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, I go down to the Bowery in New York City and I see alcoholics. That's not me. I'm not an alcoholic. That's an alcoholic. So I was pretty clear on what an alcoholic was. And, and that wasn't me. Well, I was on my own at a very young age at this point because my mother was a mess and my sister, uh, you know, was trying to kill herself on a daily basis. My other sister was given away to the Milano family. So um, um, as a little kid, you know, I, 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 you know, discovered, you know, taking a nip here and there. And I, I, I just loved alcohol. You know, it was a lot of fun. And uh, nobody was paying attention to me. And I got a job early, you know, working in a restaurant. And uh, I remember, you know, smoking pot for the first time. That was a spiritual experience. I remember smoking pot for the first time. And I was like, this tastes funny. And the guy was like, yeah, that's love boat. And, uh, man, I discovered PCP. And that was my jam for a whole summer. Uh, I was 14 years old and uh, I got into all kinds of stuff. I, I would experiment what you got, you know, um, you know, anything you had, I was up for. Uh, and, um, you know, I was running down New York city. It was the late seventies, early eighties. And uh, things were crazy back then. And, uh, and I was, I was, I was partying now. Everything was good. I was having fun. And uh, my mother had remarried the police chief of North castle, which is in Westchester and, and uh, so I had lots of cops and uh, I was Irish Catholic white and I got away with a lot of stuff in New York city in the, in the early eighties. And that's just, I should have gone to jail many times and I didn't, I went to jail first time I went to uh, LA County jail. I got caught with a uh, quarter pound of Afghanistan freedom fighter hash in Hollywood. And uh, I spent a day in jail and something happened with the evidence and they lost the big thing of the hash and, I got kicked. I got kicked out of it, so I spent one day in jail, and uh, that kept on happening for me. No, no, no problems, no repercussions. Um, right around 1984, I dabbled in other stuff, and I, I saw a serious problems. Some, some hardcore drugs. I smoked crack cocaine for the first time in my life, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is the real deal." And I got to get away from this. So I made a a. Uh, you know, our location changed. I went back to New York and New York wasn't working because, you know, I get a job in the garbage business and I was working in the garbage business. And I was in the bar at 10 a.m. And then I get out of the bar at 2, 2 p.m. And, uh, and driving home, I remember driving home and crashing my car and totaling cars, you know, mid-afternoon, you know, rear-ending people. And uh, I was totaling a lot of cars. I wasn't getting any DUIs again. But I had to leave. And uh, I went down to Virginia because that's where my father lived. And, uh, you know, things were going to be different in Virginia. And they were for a little while. And then they weren't. And uh, John showed up again and, uh, you know, drinking and partying every night. But I met a girl and she was a good girl and she was Christian. And uh, um, I got her pregnant and uh, things were going to be different. We were going to move down to Florida and uh, things were going to be different. I went and I got down on my knees and I pledged to the Lord in a charismatic Pentecostal church. And man, the goose hung high for a good two months. And uh, I remember one night after work, you know, I was playing pool and the guys were like, you can have one beer, right? And I'm like, yeah, I can have one beer. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was uh, drinking every night 
and I was uh, snorting cocaine and I was shark finning in, uh, in Tampa Bay. And, uh, and that was my lifestyle. Every night till five o'clock in the morning, snorting cocaine, catching sharks, cutting the fins off, releasing them and uh, putting them in a bucket to sell them uh, in, the, in the illegal fish market and making money. But I had to put money on the table. So uh, I knew I was going to end up being in jail. And uh, I knew I needed some sort of structure in my life. So I went to St. Pete Meps and I signed up for the United States Navy. And that's exactly what I needed at that time. I needed some structure. This is exactly what I needed. Let me go to a professional drinking academy and uh, <laughs> learn how to drink properly. And uh, the United States Navy, um, you know, gave me some structure. It gave me some urinalysis, which was great because I needed urinalysis on a, on a daily basis. And uh, it also gave me some motivation to do the right thing and uh, to be a father. And, um, you know, I, I flourished in the Navy for a long time and uh, I was deployed uh, a few times and I was deployed in, um, in Bosnia. And I remember all I wanted to do was talk to my kids because there was some crazy stuff going on in Bosnia. And, uh, my, my wife at the time said, uh, no, I can't let you talk to the kids right now. Let me tell you something. I want a divorce. And, uh, boy, I was in Rome and, uh, that night they, uh, the carbonari told me that they frowned upon skinny dipping in Trevi fountain. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, drunk, standing with a big Peroni in Trevi Fountain, stark naked. Uh, and I'm lucky I didn't get arrested again. Um, so I would get in kind of scrapes like that, and I would get out of them. And, you know, because of my, my military career and stuff like that, my friends told story after story about how I would get out of them. And I'm going to keep on fast forwarding here. Towards the end of my naval career, I didn't have to take urinalysis because I was the boss, and they told me that I was in charge, and I could tell people who was on leave. So when they called for my my number, I would say this guy's this you know zero six two is on leave. And uh, when I got home uh, that first time, I told them that I was on leave. I smoked pot with my neighbor, and within a week or so, I was smoking crack cocaine on a daily basis, teaching a secret uh, NATO course um, at the naval station, and. Um, I knew I had to get out before I went to prison. So I got out of Navy just in time. I got, a, I think I got a DUI about four days before I got out in Williamsburg, Virginia, but that was the Williamsburg PD's problem. That wasn't my problem. And I stayed in Williamsburg for a while, uh, but I needed a location change. So I moved back to Florida and what any good alcoholic does, he figures out what can he do so he can drink. And I became the sommelier at the Ritz Carlton Naples beach resort in uh, Naples, Florida. And they allowed me to walk around in a suit and drink wine. And, uh, they always asked me why I had that fresh minty breath and I'd give them the Altoids. I had cinnamon Altoids in my pocket, but I was really drinking a bottle of Fireball every night. Every night I was drinking a bottle of Fireball and walking around. I walked around 10 years with the same cinnamon Altoids in my pocket. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I was somewhat functional. Um, I go to uh, Naples Community Hospital with pancreatitis. Doctor, give me a shot of Demerol and a script for Oxycontin, and uh, I would be good to go. And uh, I drink water and uh, snort Oxycontin until I could drink again, and then I would drink again until I got pancreatitis, and then, uh -huh. and then I go back and get another script, and uh, it was just keep on going, going, going. And I'll fast forward to June fourth, two thousand sixteen. It was after uh, Memorial Day, um, 
you know, Memorial Day is on May 30th. So we're talking about four days not sleeping and being up. And I was looking out my door and I'm looking at my neighbor's house, John and Mary. And I love those people. They were the nicest neighbors. And I looked at the side of their house. They had a gas can and they had a, a lawnmower right there. And I was trying to figure out how I could light their house on fire, how I could kick down their door and how I could save them and how I could go back in for their two Irish setters. I was going to go back in for their Irish setters. I was going to save their Irish setters. And then they had this, this, this sunken living room. They had a mirror. And I was going to run into that mirror as fast. I hated mirrors at that time, any mirror. But I was going to run into that mirror as fast as I could and knock myself unconscious. I was going to die in that fire. And I was sure that my, my kids were going to get, you know, like they were going to name that street after me. That my kids were going to get like an award or something, that, you know, that, that, you know, I was so delusional on, on, on June 5th, 2016, that when I went, when I showed up to, um, when I showed up to the hospital and they gave me to my little, we were talking about this earlier with uh, Jake. Thanks, Jake. I mean, that was amazing. And, uh, and uh, thanks for talking about your girlfriend too. You just kind of screwed me on that, um, which we'll get to later. Um, but, um, they gave me my grippy socks and, uh, my robe and, uh, I had a bunch of seizures. They hooked me up to an EKG. I guess I had these, like some sort of little strokes, they call them mini strokes. And they woke me up and they said, Mr. Cahill, did you go to, you want to go to a meeting? There's a panel here that's arrived. Anybody that does H and I, thank you. Um, I mean, it was my, so I was like, no, I don't want to go to damn AA meeting. And they said, sir, we'll give you a pack of cigarettes. And it's in the ice cream room. And I said, ice cream room? I said, you got Marlboro Reds? They said, yes. I said, where's my road? And uh, <laughs> they, they bought a wheelchair. I remember that. I said, no, no, I don't need a wheelchair. I probably should have taken the wheelchair because I didn't walk very well. But I, I walked down to the ice cream room at um, Encino Medical Center in L.A. And I went to my first AA meeting. And this is after, you know, lots of family members uh, spent a lot of time in AA. And I've been invited to a number of, of, of meetings. And I, I, it was pretty uneventful. And uh, I went to a 30-day treatment. It was a beautiful place out in Hemet, California. I uh, strongly recommend spending time in Hemet if you can. No. Um, Hemet's beautiful. This, this time of year, it's not bad, actually. But uh, the summer of 2016, it was hot as Hades. And uh, if you don't know what Hades is, that's hell. And it was hell on earth for sure. I was, uh, you know, detoxing still. And uh, I, I was not happy, but I got, I learned one thing during that 30 day treatment. There was a, uh, some young men that were messing around. There's DBT. Uh, this teacher was teaching DBT this, and uh, she used to call me silver box and she was all tatted up. And she uh, was teaching these guys would mess around. I said, why don't you be quiet? This lady's trying to save your life. And, and they said, shut up, old man. They were messing with me. And they kept on saying something. I mean, I was like, I got to go for my smack when he's got. So I went and went on a walk. And I was like, I got to walk. And I, when I got back, she's like, I need to talk to you. I'm like, she's going to thank me. You know, thanks for sticking up for me. You know, she's probably going to pat me on the back, say, you know, way to go, Silver Fox. She did a good job. She goes, she goes, oh, you were a tequila and cocaine guy, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, anybody walk up to you at the bar and take a sip of your tequila? I'm like, oh, hell no. No, no way. She goes, anybody walk up to your mirror and snort a line without your permission? I said, oh, no, hell. She goes, why are you being such a bitch? 
Why'd you let those guys steal your serenity? I was like, whoa, this woman just called me. <laughs> I was like, wow. And uh, she goes, serenity, your serenity is the most valuable thing you own. Don't let anybody take it away from you. Never give it away. And man, that was uh, 30 days of treatment. That's all I learned. And they were like, do you want to go to an IOP or you want to go home? And I was like, I need to talk to my boss because I got one, you know, I talked to my boss. My boss is like, yeah, please stay. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what? You know what I mean? He goes, no, stay, stay, stay. We got you. You got your disability, you know. And the risk also paid, paid a lot of money for me to stay. Uh, and, um, you know, so they said, well, we want to send you to an IOP at San Clemente, California. And I'm like, give me my phone. And I looked up this place, Pacific Palms Recovery, and I saw exactly where it was, and it was really close to the water. And I was like, the Pacific Ocean, summer. I was like, yeah, I'll go there. And um, they, I checked into this place called Kaizen House. Kaizen House, House of Great Change in, in, uh, in Dana Point, California. And it was me and 17 other guys. And the average age was about 21, 22. And they didn't know how to clean their... their their clothes, they didn't know how to clean their dishes right, they didn't know how to feel day right, they didn't know how to do anything right, as far as I was concerned. And I was not, I was I was restless, irritable, and discontented. I didn't know that though. I never learned anything about, you know, they did DVT and it was like wah 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 wah. I'd heard things at rehab and all that crap and relapse trigger, whatever. But they said, you know, most of the really good instructors said. Go to AA, get a sponsor, and do steps, you know? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And, um, you know, I'm going to go to NA and check out that. You know, there's young girls with tattoos. I mean, you know, that's cool. That's where I'll be, you know? And, uh, and I remember pacing around. Uh, first of all, I was in a bunk bed. You know, I'm 50 years old. I'm in a bunk bed and uh, with a bunch of young guys. And I'm uh, dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, I'm screaming at night and uh, waking these guys up and telling them to get down and and they're freaking out. And when I'm not doing that, I can't breathe. And I I got severe sleep apnea and um, uh, they're like, I'm stopped breathing. And they're like, are you okay? We thought you were dead. And and, uh, and otherwise I'm smoking packs and packs of Marlboro Red Box and I'm pacing the, the outside of the house. And I'm pacing the outside of the house and there's these four guys that live in the front little apartment. And these are the guys that are senior and they come in and they're happy and they're coming back and they're grabbing some like uh, like cheese and they're cooking some eggs and they're like, hey, do you want to go step down to the Hardcore Harbor with us, sir? You know, you want to go? And I'm like, no. They'll like, you sure? You sure we'll help set up? And I'm like, you guys just sit here? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know what? I'll go with you. I'll go set up some chairs. So we went down to this place called the Hardcore Harbor. It's this big room, this big harbor room. And I start setting up the chair and this guy comes over and goes, no, no, you're doing it all. We got a way to do the chair. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I can't, you know, I'm trying to help you out. And you're telling me I'm not doing it. He goes, no, we're, we do it a certain way here. I'm like, whatever. And I sat in that meeting and two guys almost got in a fist fight over somebody who was covering their, you know, this guy was supposed to cover his commitment and he had one of his sponsees did it and he didn't have six months of sobriety and he's supposed to have six months to cover his commitment. And these guys like, shut the hell up. It's like, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to And they almost had a fist fight. So the next day they're like, sir, you want to go back to that movie? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm like, man. 
so the next day it was like this guy cowboy since passed away god rest his soul and this guy cowboy would speak up and he's like cowboy alcoholic and I didn't understand the thing he'd say. And uh, I was like, man, that guy's interesting. And then some guy came in. He was all over by the literature table. He grabbed a big book, started banging his head. I'm like, man, this is interesting. This, I mean, if you're, I mean, I don't know if the newcomers, if this is your first AA meeting, you haven't gone to many AA meetings and, and you're bored in an AA meeting, it's because you're boring. These people are interesting. We are not mentally right. If you didn't notice, Jake's not right, what? Right. Um, when the SWAT team kicks down your door and you're just like, oh, yeah, the SWAT team kicked down my door. Yeah. And that becomes, yeah, just regular stuff. Um, yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not a glum lot, but we're not really, uh, what I hear, the bedrock of mental health. That's the nice way to put it. My sponsor says we're not among the well. We're not among the well. And, uh, you know, thank God for sponsorship. So after a while of this, I'm going to this men's stag meeting. And now I'm going to a, uh, an AA meeting uh, on a regular basis because um, somebody keeps on asking me to go to a cocaine anonymous meeting. And every time somebody says cocaine, I got to go take a crap. So, um, <laughs> and if you know, you know. So um, I'm going to AA meetings because I feel safe. I feel safe and you people are interesting. And I'm interested because first of all, I think some of you are full of crap. Uh, I think all of you are full of crap because it's life beyond my wildest dreams. And I don't think you're really being sober, sober. And, um, and this thing about, you know, you need to put $2 in the basket and then you need to get sponsees and then they put $2 in the basket. It sounds like a pyramid scheme. I'm like, when do I should have got in early? I'm 50. Now I'm 51 years old, and I should have got him when my sister did. And I want to call my sister and say, "What's your daily check like?" Because she's like 30 years, some 35 years. She must get a big check. It's Amway, right? So, um, so I'm a little bit, but I'm interested. You know, you got my curiosity up, and I, I haven't identified. I don't stand up, and I don't identify. I'm not one of you people, and I'm still looking for the differences i'm judging if you're judging me right now awesome man i'm glad i'm being judged because i judge so many people i deserve to be judged um and uh this guy sean started sharing his story man so i don't know something just hit me it hit me in, in a different spot than 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 most things and and i blurted out i don't know who how i did it i almost said who the hell said that and uh, it was me. I said, I'm John, I'm an alcoholic and, you know, I need help. Uh, and I said, uh, I was in the Navy and I was, you know, I was doing this and I worked, you know, and I got a job and I'm sommelier and I can't go back to my job and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I need help. I'm in a house with a bunch of set and 20 year olds, millennials, and they listen to crappy rap music and, and they, they don't even know good rap music. And, uh, and uh, they took, they're talking this lingo I don't even know about smashing. And I'm like, <laughs> they don't even talk about sex properly. And I'm, like, um, I'm like, I need help. And uh, this guy comes up to me and he's the kind of guy that I would pick on in high school. And he says, hi, my name's Lance. And uh, <laughs> I went to the Naval Academy. I grew up in Laguna and I like to sail. 
And uh, I was like, oh, you're kidding me. And he's like, I'm in between jobs. I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. And uh, man, that man took me through the book. We started reading the preface. And, uh, and I was like, what's it? I was looking at him like, man, what's in it for him? You know, it was weird. And we started reading stuff. And I'm like, can we just go? I wasn't feeling well. I was really getting, I was really restless, irritable, and discontented. And I wasn't happy. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, we were, everyone was, you know, there's people with these pink clouds and stuff like this. And I remember we got to this one point in the book, and he's like, oh, see that asterisk? Wait, stop reading. We got to go to 567 and read about spiritual experience. I'm like, oh, really? We got to. I got I to gotta really go to the back of the book now. That was such a hassle for me. And we went to the back of the book and I read about spiritual experience and he gave me this tip. He said, I want you to write this down. He goes, this is the how. You got to be honest. You got to be willing. And you got to be open-minded. You know, honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. H-O-W. Write that down. And, uh, and I wrote that down. He's like, can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And I was lying. I didn't think I could do that. Um, I was lying. I wasn't being honest. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to go through. I'm going to go through. I'm going to check every one of your boxes off. I'm going to do these steps to the best of my ability, just like I did in the military. And then when it doesn't work for me, I can go back to Florida and I can blow it all up. I can do it. And I can say, I thoroughly followed your steps like they did in Chapter 5. Thank you for whoever in Chapter 5. They're thoroughly following your steps. And rarely have we seen I'm going to be that rare one. I'm going to be that rare bird, the New Yorker, because I'm not stoked like you people are here. I'm not stoked about sobriety, dude. There's a swell coming. I'm stoked. I'm sober, man. I'm not stoked. I'm not stoked at all. I'm, I'm restless, irritable, discontented. It's getting worse and worse. And I got to be rushed to the hospital. But guess what? I got pancreatitis. And the doc says, excuse me, well, you know why you get this? I said, yeah, doc, it's from alcohol. She goes, yeah, uh, what do you been drinking? When was the last time you had a drink? I'm like, yeah, last year, June 5th, 2016, last year, six months ago. She goes, wow, must have been some drink. I was like, yes, doc, it was. <laughs> and uh, she gave me some, some, some pain pills. I said, I can't take those. And uh, I said, I just want to make sure I didn't have something else. And, um, and then I was down in Thousand Step, and I, I, got, uh, I tore my uh, biceps tendon, uh, trying to hang with these young guys, uh, you know, uh, surfing and, and body surfing and uh, had to have surgery. And uh, now I'm really not, not happy. And we're going through the steps and, uh, you know, we do, we did step five and I, I said, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And uh, right before the step five, I was, I kept on reading these prayers. And uh, I ran into this guy, Jim G, in this Tuesday night men's stag meeting. He used to be at the, the hospital. And Jim G is like one of these girls. And I'm like, he's talking about third step, man, third step. I said, man, I see your third step. I see your third step every morning. I kneel on my thing in my little, right on my, my, my bunk beds. And I kneel and I read that third step prayer. And uh, I say it every day. And I still got, I still got problem. Take away my difficulties. You know, God, take away my difficulties. Um, God, I offer myself today to build with me, to do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Take away my difficulties. So the victory over that, to bear witness to those I would help, thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And I say seven-step prayer, and I say the prayer of St. Francis of Sisi. I say it's 11-step prayer, and I get up and I go on my way. Because that's what I was told. That's what everyone was doing. 
right in the harbor. And uh, I was like, man, I still got problems. He goes, John, God's taking away your difficulty. I said, no, dude, I got this problem. I got this problem. I got this problem. He goes, John, your problem is, he goes, your difficulties are how you deal with problems. He said, everyone's got problems. Your problems is, you know, when you get a problem, you get drunk on tequila and smoke crack. That's your problem. That's how you deal with problems. That's your difficulty. Well, since you started saying this prayer, have you been smoking crack and drinking tequila? No, I had to admit he was right. I was like, man, maybe this stuff's working. But I really didn't feel like one of you. I still feel like an outsider. But I started hearing people talk about a head full of AA and a belly full of booze. And that scared, for the first time, I was scared. I mean, that sounded horrible. That sounded worse than like four days of being up. I mean, that sounded just really bad. It ruined my buzz. You know, it was like, oh, man, I don't even think it would be fun to drink now. And I, I at least had fun sometimes. And, uh, and I did this fifth step in a garage in that Kaizen house. And, uh, then we went through these. I remember he handed me this list of character defects. He said, you got a problem in any? And I was like, yes, this one. I said, look at this thief. I'm not a thief. I wanted to fight him. Lance, I'm not a thief because you stole your family's serenity. Oh. Yeah, I guess I did. Well, yeah, I guess I did. He goes, you kind of stole some of your children's childhood, didn't you? He's like, my kids were, you know, everyone was like, man, your kids are amazing pool players. Did you have a pool, <laughs> pool table in your house? I'm like, nope. They kind of grew up in bars. And you stole your kids' like childhood. Yeah, yeah I guess I did. He goes, didn't you talk about S&P and stuff and writing it off to people that paid cash that you knew were paying cash? Oh, yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. And we went through each one of them. He goes, anyone, anyone of you think you need to hold on to? I was like, no. And I went through and I, I, I prayed. But for the first time in my life, I really, really, really prayed for each one of those to be removed. And I, then I meditated for an hour in the dark. And then I went for a walk. It was cold January night with stars all over the place and I walked down to Doheny Beach and I sat there and just was breathing a little bit out with John in with in with God and uh I didn't notice at first but the guys in the house were like man what's up with you well, you're different I'm like well I'm not different they're like you're not as cranky you're not grumpy old man he goes you're nicer and uh and I'd had a spiritual awakening and uh I didn't realize it at first, um, but uh, but my life had changed, and um, and I conduct my life now in AA. I don't go to AA. I, I mean, I, you you if you know me, you know I conduct my life through AA in and out of AA. Um, I've got a sponsor now, Jim H, that tells me that um, tells me the tough things. He says, I don't care about your feelings. I'm doing soul surgery. And, uh, you know, he's willing to tell me the rough things. I've got a, a girlfriend that uh, holds me, has more sobriety than me. And, uh, yeah, thanks. <coughs> thanks, Jake. And, um, yeah, she, um, she, she, that's the most difficult thing is to, uh, I really don't have problems doing these, these uh, principles in all my affairs. And uh, except for that affair. 
And uh, I'm, I'm not really good at, at, at uh, interchanges with people. Um, I'm really good with people, forgiving people that I, that I don't love um, or don't care about. Um, uh, I can forgive anybody, but um, the people that are closest to me sometimes, uh, I, I have to make amends to on, on, all the time. So thank God I have this program. I do. Um, I still do a lot of inventory, a lot of fear work. Um, still, still driven by a thousand forms of fear, and I still got a long way to, ways to go. And uh, and I think I I, I I try to remain teachable uh, at, at all times. And uh, and if you're if if you've ever felt alone in a big room full of people, and uh, I felt alone in a room full of family, I felt alone in a, a room full of guys that I served with, I felt alone in. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of times in my life, and, uh, and uh, you never have to feel alone again uh, if, if, if you're with us in AA, but you got to let us know. That's the thing. We can't read your minds because I thought you guys, you know, I was like, man, you guys don't know about me. Nobody's noticing me. Nobody's like coming over to me, you know, and at, um, at uh, uh, you know, 64 days of sobriety, I finally opened up and said I need help and right away. AA's hand was there and um, man I can't stress it enough like give it a try Hedge, I like hedging bets you know um, I'm just that way I'm a little bit of a cheater um, and I'm a steal I steal now on a daily basis I'll steal from everybody I'll hear something I'll steal from it um, man it was a speaker if you were here last week to hear this guy that guy why he's not very um, good at picking football teams, but he was amazing at speaking about AA. Um, man, this guy, uh, uh, you just motivated me. You know, you come here, it doesn't matter if somebody's got a year or somebody's got 30 years. Um, man, I could hear something. I hear the music of AA, and it's just so beautiful. So um, jump in, the water's perfect. You know, swim with us. Um, and uh, trudge this road to happy destiny. I, I'm that kind of guy now. I, I read the book a lot. If you don't um, get into the, get at least get a, um, a diagnosis of your condition, right, Dustin? We need a diagnosis of our condition. Um, and we need to find out if we're restless, irritable, discontented. And if, again, we can get uh, the same ease and comfort that we can get from a few drinks. Uh, a few drinks, which we see normal people taking with, impunity right so um get into the book maybe you'll have a favorite part um my favorite part is um with all the desperation of drowning men what seemed at first a flimsy reed turned out to be the loving and powerful hand of god and uh there was a lot of men and a lot of women in aa that i saw conduct themselves and i didn't believe them and they're my flimsy reed group because i i doubted their them and uh, I kept an eye on them, and they seemed like they were flimsy reeds to me. And they turned out to be the loving and powerful hand of God. I'm John. I'm an alcoholic.